0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Rachel, one of the assistant pastors of the church. Um, my main role at the church is to look after the family's ministries. So, from the very young children in, in Vineyard Kids right up to the elderly in our later life ministry and everything in between. I'm married to Andy, who happens to be serving in Kids Today, and we have a 20-year-old son who's away at uni just now, called Sam, and a 17-year-old daughter, who has made me promise not to share any embarrassing stories about her today. (laughs) So that's a little bit about me. If you've been around the last few weeks, you'll have heard us talking about the vision of home we have for our church—a place where everyone belongs where they experience love, a place where we share our lives together, the good and the bad, a place of safety. And one of the words most closely linked with home, perhaps, is the word family, because homes usually consist of them. How many of us here today have a family? I'm expecting every hand up. Now, when I say that word, there'll be a range of different reactions. If your experience has been a positive one, you're probably feeling lots of warm feelings of love and safety just now. However, there'll be those of us here today who've had tougher experiences of family, and there may be some negative emotions when I say that word. One thing's for certain, there's definitely no such thing as a perfect family, despite what you might see on social media. And I'm guessing for those of you with younger children here today, you'll have experienced that this morning in just trying to get here. I've been there in the past. The baby that suddenly needs a nappy changing when you're trying to get out the door. The toddler tantrum. The sibling squabbles. Anybody relate? Absolutely. One of the things that I most love about the Bible is that it's stories about families and not a picture of perfection. Quite the opposite in fact as we'll see later. So this morning, we're going to look at how God views family. We're going to see how family was and still is his plan for humanity, how Jesus radically redefined family, and to think about, to reimagine what family means to us at Hull Vineyard, this place that we want you to call home. So, firstly this morning, let's look at how family was and still is God's invention and His intention. From the very beginning of creation, family has been God's plan for humanity. We see it in that we're made in the image of God, and this God is a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship with one another. We see it in creation in Eden, When God has created Adam, he says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So straight away from the beginning of creation, God is making it clear that we're wired to be in relationship with others. He goes on to command Adam and Eve to have a family, to be fruitful and increase in number, which shows that our relationships aren't meant to be insular and contained. They're meant to bear fruit, to bring multiplication to bring expansion, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Of course, as we know, human beings don't stick to God's plan, and as a result, things get messy. However, in the midst of all of this, family continues to be God's way of bringing his blessing. A large part of the book of Genesis tells the story of Abraham and his family. And God tells Abraham, because we don't have time to tell the full story today, that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that all families on earth will be blessed through him. His name, Abraham, actually means the father of many nations. The book of Genesis, in fact, a lot of the Old Testament, is in one respect a collection of family stories. And as I've mentioned earlier, what I love about them is that they aren't tales of model families, where everything and everyone is squeaky clean. Quite the opposite, in fact. These are family histories with huge amounts of dysfunction. Families doing some seriously messed up stuff. There are lies, deception, murder, adultery, favoritism, not the stuff of happy families. And many of us in this room sadly will relate to this and if not we see it all around us in society today. Over and over again humanity deviates from God's plan and over and over again God in his grace and mercy invites humanity to engage with his original understanding for what family life would look like, a family that would carry his blessing to the end of the earth. Eventually, this results in God the Father sending Jesus, his one and only Son, to be the Saviour of the world and to radically redefine family. So, in Matthew 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree, if you like. Now, being honest, when you're doing your Bible readings, how many of us skip past the genealogies? Hands, yeah. Me too. There's long lists of sometimes unpronounceable names that we don't recognize. But they're definitely there for a reason. And there's actually really interesting stuff there when you dig a bit deeper. Now, you'd expect the family tree of Jesus to be a solid one, wouldn't you? Full of virtuous, good, morally upright people. Well, let's have a look at some of the people included in Jesus' family line in Matthew chapter 1. Firstly, we have Tamar. Now, biblical genealogies often focused on men. So it's actually radical in itself that several women are included here. However, if you read the story of Tamar, you know she was a woman who disguised herself as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law, included in this genealogy of Jesus. In verse 3, there's another woman, Rahab, who helped the Israelites by welcoming the men they sent out to spy the land into her home. However, before this, she was also known for welcoming many different men into her home. She was a prostitute of dubious repute, again included in Jesus' family line. Finally, we have a very, what we would call, morally upright character, Ruth. And if you haven't read the story of Ruth, it's a beautiful story found in the Old Testament. But what is significant about Ruth being mentioned is that she would have been seen as a foreigner. She was a Moabite, not an Israelite. So Jesus' family tree expands beyond the Israelites, a reminder of the promise to Abraham and eventually Jesus that all family on earth would be blessed. Now, Bathsheba isn't mentioned directly, but she is referred to in verse 6 as Uriah's wife. And again, if you know that story, to cut a long story short, when King David saw Bathsheba, she was a very attractive woman, he desired her, he asked her to be brought to him, committed adultery with her, got her pregnant, and to try and cover it all up, had her husband murdered again. Not a family you'd expect to see in the line of Jesus. And last of all, we have Mary, and we know differently about the mother of Jesus, but to outsiders at the time, She was an unmarried teenager who got pregnant. All of these messy family histories get included in the genealogy of Jesus. And one of the things I think this shows us is that, although our family histories influence and impact upon us, they don't have to define us. From his birth, Jesus is radically redefining family. What it looks like and who gets to be included. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to erase the past, to pretend it never happened. Instead, he comes to forgive it and to give, give you a fresh start. One of the most common analogies to becoming a Christian is that of rebirth and adoption. We're born again and adopted into a new family, the family of God. So we're going to have a couple of slides with some Bible readings here if you have your Bibles with you today. First of all, we've got John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. In this passage, it says of Jesus, He came to that which was his own, the Jews, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And again, in Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, we see more about this new family that Jesus has for us. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that's an amazing thought, isn't it? That because of what Jesus has done, that promise that we spoke about, given to Abraham all of those years ago, means us too. In belonging to this family of God, we have an incredible connection, a connection that transcends geography, ethnicity, whether you're rich or poor, however old you are, whatever your gender is, and that is why this local church is so important. We need to be family with those around us, actively supporting and praying for each other. This church community is part of the family of God, the place we want people to call home, as we've been talking about so much the last few weeks. Like any family, and just like the family stories we've been talking about in the Bible, we come here with brokenness and wounds. But as we've just said, because of what Jesus has done, they don't have to define us. No longer is it just a set number of people that you have a blood relation with, but a family born of the Spirit. And our families are going to include people we don't expect to see, just like there were people we didn't expect to see in Jesus' family line. It's wonderful to look around at everybody today. You can see a sea of wonderful faces in front of me. But I also see many, many diverse faces, and that is wonderful, and it's how God intended it. The invitation to join this family through Jesus is for all people. In Acts 2 verse 16, Peter, quoting from Joel, told the people who had just experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." That word, everyone, is so important. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no one excluded, no one disqualified. The early church continued the work of Jesus in redefining family and were known for looking after those that nobody else wanted to look after, the marginalized, the rejected, such as the poor, the orphan, and the widow not just their own community or their blood relatives. One of the stories I've been reading about is, in the Roman Empire, it was considered acceptable to abandon a newborn baby to the elements if the family, specifically the father, decided he didn't want to raise it. So they would be left outside the city walls. But some of the early Christians would go outside of the city walls each morning. They would find these abandoned babies would take them into their home and raise them as their own. And the way they did church, this way and in other ways, couldn't help but draw people to Jesus and to their family. So we're just going to be reading from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, which gives a brief description of how the early church operated. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that the story that we would love to be hearing in this home, our family at Hull Vineyard, that we would model family so well that we would enjoy the favor of all the people, and that we would have people daily coming to know Jesus and joining our family. And it's great to have a wonderful story from this week, um, from the Alpha meal, um, which two of the Little Fish's mums went along to. Now, the Little Fish's leaders weren't aware that these mums were going to go along, so it was a lovely surprise for them. We have over 40 people attending Little Fishes each week, many of whom aren't Christians. And it's our constant prayer that these families would come to know Jesus through this group and engage in our wider church family. So I was so encouraged to receive a copy of this text, which was sent to Fee, one of the leaders of the group. It said, just a little encouragement. I had the absolute privilege of sitting next to two mums from Little Fishes last night at Alpha. They were brilliant. God's already got one of them pegged as an incredible evangelist. She was so full of passion. She said, well, I'm not sure if it's true yet, but if Christianity is, then everybody needs to know. We just need to tell everybody, my family, my kids, everyone I meet. And the person who sent the text said, Little Fishes is doing a great thing. Now, we've heard about the exciting news about the Lighthouse Alpha, which is wonderful. Feed Julie and Betha also in the process of discussing doing an alpha with some of the little fishes' mums who find it hard to come out on, to, on an evening, and they're going to be announcing that in the near future, so I would love you to keep that in your prayers, too. So, in this home of the whole vineyard, we want to rewrite the story of family, to reimagine what being a family looks like to us as a church. Here are some thoughts on what this looks like practically. First of all, we need to be connected. We don't want to be a group of people that meets once a week on a Sunday and then just goes back to living our individual lives. We don't want this because if you're just trying to live an individual life with God, then you're missing out on some of the greatest pleasure you can have walking intimately and closely with others. This is both for God's glory and your good. And it isn't just the Bible that says this. Every sociological study that anybody does tells us that we have more connections with people randomly, and yet less intimacy and true connection than ever before. However many followers or friends we have on social media, people are lonelier than ever before. There's a loneliness epidemic out there. Many of you will have heard in the news recently about the the suicide of Caroline Flack at the age of just 40. So here we have a high-profile celebrity. Um, When I checked last week, she had 2.7 million followers on Instagram alone, so-called friends. She'd been at the height of her career, with worldwide fame and all of the money that comes from that, when an incident happening one night, resulting in her being charged and facing legal proceedings, dramatically altered her life, as the media hounded her, as did the social media trolls making life so unbearable that she felt she had to end it. In a message she wrote shortly before her death that she was advised not to post, later released by her mum, she said, ''Within 24 hours, my whole world and future was swept away from under my feet, and all the walls that I had taken so long to build around me collapsed. I'm suddenly on a very different kind of stage, and everyone is watching it. I've lost my job, my home, my ability to speak. And the truth has been taken out of my hands and used for entertainment. I can't spend every day hidden away, being told not to say or speak to anyone. This is a description of someone feeling a most profound sense of loneliness, despite being supposedly surrounded by so many friends. Every single medical health study tells us the exact same thing, that the number one way you can make yourself healthier is to develop deep, intimate, close relationships with people with shared values, who care for one another, and who challenge one another. Now, many of us are fixated on all kinds of things to make us healthier. Diet, see if any of these resonate, exercise, food supplements, Essential oils, daily gym visits, mindfulness, I could go on. And there is nothing wrong with these things in themselves. In fact, most of them are very good things. But none of these things can take the place of good, healthy relationships. Let's consider together today, who knows your hopes? Who is it who knows your fears? Who knows the challenges that you're facing? Who knows where you're stuck? Jay Pathak, one of the American vineyard pastors, said in a recent podcast I listened to, these stories are all saying, it's better to eat chocolate together than broccoli alone. (laughs) Yeah, I think I need to have that up on my kitchen wall. Amen to that. It's better to eat chocolate together than broccoli alone. The scriptures and the studies are all saying the same thing. You need people. What it is to enter into life with God is to join with others in that life following God. And what's more, it's worth it. It will enhance your life greatly in helping you become all that God intended you to be. And another thing is, God has promised to be present in it. It says in Matthew 18 verse 20, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There's a special promise there. When we choose to be connected with others and not just go along on our own, when we say we're going to commit to following Jesus together, it's not just worth it, but it's in this that the presence of God is poured out on your life. And this can't just happen showing up in these rows on a Sunday. Sundays are great. It's wonderful to have everybody here today. But if that's the only life we have with God, then we're missing out. Another quote of Jay Pathak is, Life with God is not lived in rows, but lived in circles. We're sitting in rows today, and that's great for the purposes of this service, although it's making me feel a little bit nervous. But in circles, you sit face to face, you talk to one another, you share your life, you hear about other people's lives, you learn how to pray and care for one another. And this has to be a choice. We often make sacrifices in life. Uh, If we want a nice holiday, or if we want to buy a house or a car, we sacrifice for our children, for lots of other things besides, and that's okay. But the Bible's really clear that it's for your good and for your pleasure for you to sacrifice, to live life intimately connected with others. And in the life of our church, we've created lots of ways for you to do this, whether it be serving on a team, going along to a home group, or Alpha, Little Fish's Toddler Group, men's nights, ladies' nights, and lots more besides. Andy and I have the privilege of leading a home group in Beverly every Wednesday evening, where we do sit in a circle, not in rows. We're a little bit crammed in at the moment, there's so many of us, in fact. And what I love about it is that there is no other context in which this particular group of people would naturally meet together other than because of our shared faith in Jesus and wanting to follow Jesus together. We have people from age 22 to someone in their 70s who we pick up and return to a care home with every decade represented in between. So our home group spans six decades at the moment. We have people who are single, married, have experienced the pain of divorce or the loss of a spouse. We've got those with young children, those with no children, those with teenagers or grown children, those who are now retired. And it's beautiful, and I never fail to leave feeling blessed. What's more, I believe it pleases the heart of God as we encourage and challenge each other and we bear each other's burdens. This is being family, I believe, as God intended it. We need to be connected. The unity that comes from this is a witness to the watching world. And that's wonderful as we also need to be inviting and connecting with people who don't yet know Jesus. If we don't leave this place to scatter and gather, we won't see the full blessing God has. We want to always be looking to extend the boundaries as to who we let into our lives. Single, married, widowed, divorced, rich, poor, old, young. We want all to find Jesus and a home where they belong. And this is so needed in our society today. I don't need to stand and explain to you the brokenness around us. You see it all of the time. I would like to highlight two articles written by American scholars on the family in this last month, as they bring home a lot of what I've been talking about today. David Brooks, a very well-respected American scholar who happens to be a non-practicing Jew, has just written an article in which he argues that the family structure we've held up as the cultural ideal for the past half-century, namely the nuclear family, has been a catastrophe forever. And his quote's going to appear on the slide. He says, if you want to summarize the changes in family structure over the past century, the truest thing to say is this. We've made life freer for individuals, and more unstable for families. We've made life better for adults, and worse for children. We've moved from big, interconnected families, extended families, which helped protect the most vulnerable people in society from the shocks of life, to smaller, detached, nuclear families, a married couple and their children, which give the most privileged people in society room to maximize their talents and expand their options. The shift from bigger and interconnected families to smaller and detached nuclear families ultimately led to a familial system that liberates the rich and ravages the working class and the poor. So in the past and in biblical culture, families tended to live near one another, if not together, including what we would class today as distant relatives. As I mentioned earlier, the nuclear family, consisting of parents and a couple of children, is a relatively modern idea. So when family breakdown happens in a nuclear family, there are often no shock absorbers. The end of that relationship is the end of the family as it was previously understood. And because extended families can often be living miles away, that's if you're lucky enough to have one, there are fewer relatives around to help when trouble comes. Thankfully, he doesn't leave the article on that depressing note, and he suggests that the answer to this problem is what he calls the development of forged families, a form of family defined by commitment to each other rather than blood relations. Now, there happened to be a Christian professor who was reading this article, and he felt the need to respond suggesting that the forged family can actually already be found in an institution so familiar to us that its routine makes us blind to its offerings, namely the local church. He writes, the local church is uniquely primed and in fact is called to be the forged family for the unmarried, for single parents and for the fatherless. It is there that the fatherless can find a fatherly example For the person desiring family life, open seats at the family table provide a glimpse into the beautiful chaos of raising children. And it's in the church that young marrieds can learn from older married couples. It's why faith and healthy marriage go together. To understand the church as a forged family is to understand it as a place of welcome, habit and nurture, a place where those without a spouse or those who have experienced a breakdown in marriage or a parenting relationship can find grace and acceptance and the warm embrace of a family. Again, isn't that what we want our home at Holbeignard to look like? So, how are we responding to this as a church family? There are many things that we're doing already to extend the boundaries, You've heard about one from Claire this morning with the Lighthouse Project and the Alpha starting. We have Big Kitchen, where those who don't have a home or are hungry can come and be fed. We have the Little Fish's Toddler group. We have Jesus at the door. We have Later Life, the Ministry to the Elderly. We have Alpha. We have parenting courses. And I'm sure there are other things that I haven't mentioned However, I'd love to highlight today two ministries that are on our heart that we would love to develop here. The first is Grow Baby. This is something we're hoping to start in the near future. Grow Baby's aim is to provide good quality, new and second-hand baby clothes and equipment for children up to five years old, completely free of charge to anyone who needs it. Grow Baby is already successfully run in several vineyards around the country, helping families in need practically, but also establishing relationships with them in the hope of integrating them into church families. And many churches are seeing the fruit of that. A few of us recently had the privilege of visiting one of the Grow Baby projects that recently started, run by Bradford Vineyard. We spent the morning helping out one of their drop-in sessions And in that two-hour period, we were so moved at the impact that they're so obviously already having in their city. So I'm thinking of a story where there was a lady who came in who had three children. She came in with her social worker. And she had woken up one morning, said goodbye to her partner. Partner never returned home. And when she went to get some money out from the bank, she found that he'd wiped it clean. She had absolutely nothing. She said she had 75 pence in her purse. She didn't even have the money to buy her son a birthday card. It was his birthday the following weekend. To see her being helped, being prayed for, being loved, was incredibly moving. There were two Muslim ladies who I think had only recently come over to the country. They were actually in refuges because of domestic violence. They had very little communication, but what they did manage to communicate was that they had absolutely nothing. One was heavily pregnant with the first child, another had a little toddler. And again, the team were able to pray for them and help them and equip this new with everything that she would need for the baby. And Hannah, the lady who runs the Grow Baby Project there, actually had a picture for us as a church as we were praying together later on and she's never ever visited our church before and in this picture she said that she saw people coming in through some entrance doors and seeing some beautiful cakes and coffee on a cafe bar counter sounding familiar isn't it they were drawn to an incredible aroma not just the aroma of the cakes but she felt that it was a spiritual aroma, the aroma of Christ she said there were tables with chairs around them where people were getting the help that they needed. And one by one, they were being taken to a room to get the clothing and equipment that they needed, which is pretty much how we had been discussing setting this up as a church. So we took that as confirmation that we're going in the right direction. And the stories that I've just shared very briefly there today, I'm sure we could tell 100 times over, a 1,000 times over in our city. Those people are out there waiting for that help. I'm so thrilled that we've already had a few people from our church family expressing interest in helping with this project. One of them said to me that had she not had this kind of help when she had her first baby, she doesn't know how she would have managed. And if it's something that you feel God's putting on your heart, we would love to hear from you too. The other thing, the other ministry area we would love to develop is making our church a family that actively seeks to welcome and include people with additional needs whether they be physical or learning disabilities, people on the autistic spectrum, or anything else that may hinder people fully entering into the life of our church family. We know there are families out there that feel incredibly isolated and alone, but who feel unable to come to church and be involved in giving and serving because we're just not well-equipped enough to meet their needs just now. And we want these precious people, precious to Jesus, just like everyone else, to find family here and to be helped to fulfill the calling God has for their lives. So again, if you have thoughts, vision, ideas, how we can take steps in the right direction here, it's going to be a longer process, but we would love to hear from you. So I hope you've seen today that as family, as God intends it, is a beautiful thing. And he's called each person here into it. And we're delighted that each and every one of you are here today and hope that you view this as your home. As we've seen, though, to feel fully part of a family, engagement is key. Now, we're so thankful for those of you on teams who serve us so well in so many different ministry areas, week in, week out. We had our 9.15 prayer meeting this morning, and our cafe was full of team who are here to serve today, and that is absolutely wonderful. However, as our family grows, we'd love every one of you to join a team or group. And there are so many different options. So if you feel like you can serve more or not currently serving, as Tom has been highlighting over the past few weeks about the different teams, please speak to him or Ed or the welcome team and they would love to help you out and sign you up.